Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles, John chapter 5. We're going to begin verse 30, as Elijah mentioned uh, earlier in the service. If you want to make your Bibles ready for that, I'd appreciate you having those open, as we're going to look at key pieces of this going forward. If you're visiting uh, Christ Church today, my name is Mark. We're glad you're with us. I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here. And uh, we're glad you joined us on Mother's Day. And to moms, it's never sufficient enough, but happy Mother's Day. Uh, there are so many characteristics of God that are epitomized by moms. And we know that you don't get the acknowledgement and credit. Your kids may even roll their eyes at some of the things you do as a good mom. But I uh, just want to encourage your heart. God knows, and we're appreciative of you. Thank you for the sacrifices you make. And I hope you're honored today by your kids. Uh, and uh, you've just been a blessing. And the way that you show God in the church and the way you show it in the community is something that the world needs to see more and more of. So on behalf of all of us, uh, thank you for being good moms and for loving Jesus. Uh, and that matters a lot. Uh, in John chapter 5, we want you to see what we talked about last week and take you into the text we had today. Last week, Jesus healed a paralyzed man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. And the Pharisees went after him because he did it on the wrong day. Go figure. And they questioned him. And Jesus came back and made some pretty bold claims in the first 29 verses. He said that he would be the judge of all the world. They would not judge him. Uh, that he was God's spokesman, sent by God to represent God on earth. And the religious leaders became upset with that because if Jesus was the representative of God on earth, then that meant they weren't. And it got into their pride, it got into their position, and they became angry. Jesus made some pretty bold claims. As you can see by the depiction behind me on this stage set, we've been talking about the five movements or chapters of Jesus' ministry. There was the arrival stage with the prophecies and the announcement of the angels and the, and the virgin birth and all that came to know about that. And then we went to a period called obscurity where Jesus was raised uh, at about the age of 30. Uh, he became into the public eye at his baptism by John the Baptist, and we've covered all of that. And we're in this stage of recognition where the world's beginning to hear Jesus say who he is, and they're beginning to see him do miracles, and they have wonderful questions about who is this man and why is he doing it. In John chapter 5, Jesus unleashes the truth. He tells him exactly who he is. Now, in an individualistic culture, theirs was not. There was a, what they call more collectivistic. It was a group, a gathering of people, more community-based than individuals. Now, we live in an individualistic culture. Uh, I don't get it. I don't like it. It turns me off, but no one cares. But we live in a culture where self-promotion makes you a celebrity. You could have no talent at all, but if you walk around telling everyone you're the man or the woman, they believe it. And I remember reading about Muhammad Ali. As a kid growing up in the 70s, you know, he was the man in the boxing and sports world. Everybody fawned all over Ali. And then I read something very unflattering. They said that Muhammad Ali would not respond to anybody who did not refer to him as champ. He wouldn't look at them. He wouldn't acknowledge them. If they called his name, he ignored them. When they said the champ or champ, he would turn. And I always thought less of him because of that. It just rubbed me, this self-promotion celebrity mindset. And then I read a biography that was written about three years ago about Ali, and one of the things that I loved about that book was it said that toward the end of his life, he was very saddened by the way he behaved. And he realized that by demeaning other people to receive what you want is no way to live your life. And I thought that was pretty profound for a man who'd been 
just applauded his whole life, realized that none of that mattered. It wasn't what he was. It wasn't what he was to be about. And then, one of the greatest philosophers or philosophical statements I've ever heard that I've held on to for a number of years, Roger Miller, some of you may remember him, yes, the country music guy uh, from the past. He has one of the best lines I've ever heard. He said, no matter how big you get, the size of your funeral depends on the weather. And I thought, amen. Let's just summarize for what it is. The size of your funeral is going to depend on the weather that day. In John chapter 5, Jesus is laying it out there. He's not being Muhammad Ali brash. He's being honest. Because they're asking him the question, why should we believe you? Why should we believe the things you're saying? Why should we believe that you are who you said you were? And that's a fair question. Jesus would even ask his disciples later on in the Gospels, who do people say that I am? And then he says, but who do you say that I am? So asking the question, who is this guy and should we trust him, is an important question. Jesus wasn't boasting, but he's about to testify as to who testifies for him. Verse 31. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the very work that the Father has given me to finish, and which I am doing, testifies that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me has testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does the word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent." You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? But I do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Well, Jesus obviously did not take the Dale Carnegie course on how to win friends and influence people. They said, why should we believe you? And he said, I have given you enough evidence to believe in me, and yet you are refusing over and over to do so. He just puts the challenge right back on it. And when we ask, who is this Jesus, please understand, everything we need to know to trust and believe by faith in him is present to us. It's not just back in that day, it's present to us today. You see, by Jewish law, there needed to be two to three testimonies affirming what someone claimed to have happened for it to be found legal. Without those two or three witnesses, you could not convict or uh, go on and produce any kind of lawsuit against anybody without these witnesses. That's why later in the Gospels, we'll see, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he was taken before the high priest, and they had to have false witnesses come forward and tell lies. But the lies were so abstract that, they even re- that Pilate even realized they don't have any real evidence. So this concept of Jesus responding to who, do you be- or who are we to believe you to be, he said, I'm going to give you three testimonies. The very first is simple. I'm going to give you John the Baptist. He says to them, you even interviewed him. You even went to see him. You know who he said I was. The second testimony, he said, are my miracles. 
And what I love what he does here in verses 36, he says, for the very work the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing, he says, I've given you enough evidence. They were there for the miracles. Remember last week? He healed a paralyzed man for 38 years and their only criticism was he did it on the wrong day. And Jesus is like, I'm doing miracles in front of you and you know where they're coming from and you won't honor them. And he says, but not only am I doing miracles in front of you, I'm going to do another miracle and this is going to prove who I am. And of course, we know that now to be the resurrection. But it's the third witness that I want to focus on this morning. When it comes to John the Baptist, because we're going through the Gospels together, we're going to come upon the story of John and there's going to be a better text for us to delve into him. And when it comes to the miracles, through our series, we've been touching on every miracle. And we're going to continue to do that as we cover every verse in the life of Jesus. And so we're going to talk more about that. I want to focus today on the third testimony, and it's God's testimony. But where, outside of his baptism, when God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, and probably there wasn't as large a crowd, and many of these religious leaders weren't there, when did God testify to Jesus? It's one of the things he says. He says, look it up. John testified to me. My miracles, based on Old Testament scriptures, testified to me. And God has testified to me. But where? It's in verse 39. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Jesus is making a massively reconstructed statement for our reality. I cannot overemphasize what I'm about to share with you. If you pay attention to how Jesus views the scriptures, you'll pay more attention to the scriptures. And I don't want to be harsh, and I don't want my tone to to sound negative. I don't want to attack this morning. But I must stand up here and state the truth. We don't respect the word of God enough to give it any time in our lives Then we don't respect God. Now, I want to be really careful. I'm not going to suggest today that we worship the Bible. There are some people who do. They think that that black, brown, or whatever color book you have in your possession, there are people that have told me that, that reading off of a computer is not the same as reading out of the Bible. Listen to me. It's not the physical form of the Bible. It's what's in the Bible that matters. And Jesus gives us this declaration of his view of the scriptures, so much so that he says the scriptures are God's testimony. And if Jesus sees the scriptures that way, then maybe we ought to, too. His view on the scriptures matter, and I want to show you what they are. I'm going to give you two of them today and illustrate them. The first is this. The scriptures are divine in origin. The scriptural texts we have have been given to us by God. I know by saying that, a percentage of this room is going to disengage with me. You believe that the Bible's useful. You believe that the Bible's helpful. You just don't believe it's inspired. If it's not inspired, then it's not true. Because if this book is man's attempt to get us closer to God, or is it God's word to get us closer to him? Your take on that matters, deeply matters. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 37. The father who sent me has himself testified concerning me, and you have never heard his voice. Verse 38, notice what he adds, nor does his word dwell in you. There's an association there that Jesus makes. It's pretty strong. Verse 39, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me for life. He said, if you open the scriptures, you're going to see me on every page, but you don't see me 
you're against me, which means you're not opening the scriptures to see what God is doing. Verse 46, if you believe Moses, you'd believe me for he wrote about me. This is Jesus' understanding of inspiration. Jesus is saying to us something that for many of us, you can nod your head to, but our behavior is what proves it. He says the scriptures are God's voice. The scriptures are not written by man to tell us about God. They come from God through man to tell us about God. It's shown by the way Jesus looked at scripture. I'm just going to give you two examples here. I could, could do this for a long time, but time doesn't allow me to, so hopefully two are sufficient. In Matthew chapter 19, when Jesus is talking about marriage, this is a quote of Jesus. God says a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife. That's what Jesus said. God said that. If you go back to the reference in the Gospels, back to Genesis, you're going to find out that that's not a direct quote from God. That was the author of Genesis telling us what the foundation of marriage is. And you say, oh, Jesus messed up. Oh, he may have messed up, but I think what he did there was he just showed us his view of inspiration. He says that the author of Genesis was inspired by God to write what he wrote. That's why he said, God said this. And let me ask you a simple question. If another human being tells you what God thinks, or the Son of God tells you what God thinks, which one's more reputable? So when Jesus said, God said this, you can go, no, 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 Moses edited that. Jesus is like, no, I was there. You weren't. My father said that. He sent me to say these things to you. So Jesus' view of inspiration was that the scriptures were inspired by God through the people writing. Now, not stenographers. Paul wasn't sitting down one day and all of a sudden his right arm started moving against his will and out came this teletype. He's saying that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write what he wrote because God wanted that written. This is Jesus' view of inspiration. Peter, in Acts chapter 4, quoting Psalm 2, a psalm written by David, the Lord God who by the mouth of the servant David did say by the Holy Spirit. Peter says, David wrote it, but God was the one who had David write it. And it was the word of God that came through David's pen. Jesus is saying something about scriptures. He's saying what Moses said, God meant. He believed that the Old Testament was inspired by God. So, 2 Peter chapter 1, the apostle Peter, understanding that, wrote these words. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. If anybody ever tells you the Old Testament's not relevant, if anybody tells you I live in the New Covenant, the Old Testament doesn't matter, they are not paying attention. God always matters, doesn't he? And the Word of God always has power, doesn't it? And so the Old Testament is the story of how God has come to redeem his people back to him. That story is more relevant than it's ever been because of the New Testament. It's not been thrown aside as, as unnecessary. Jesus said it's inspired. It's God's words to us. He's revealing who he is to us. So what the scriptures say, God said. And what Moses wrote, God said. And what David wrote, God said. And that's what Jesus believed. And again, I just need to be honest. I'm, I'm not angry, but... A crowd this size, some of you are like, I'm out. I just don't believe it. And it comes down to this one truth. It really doesn't care, it doesn't depend what my view of Scripture is. And truthfully, with all respect to you as a person, it doesn't really matter what your view of Scripture is. 
the only view that we should pay attention to is Jesus' view of Scripture. And he believed the Bible was inspired by God himself, through the Holy Spirit, through the authors. And if that's what he believed, I'll bet my life on it. If I disagree with him, I'm wrong. And when I open the word, I'll find out that it's true. The essence of the Christian life is not live a moral life or a mystical presence with God. It's been from the Garden of Eden until today, a personal relationship based with God. I don't mean this fuzzy, emotional, sitting on his lap, laying my head on his chest and feeling warm and fuzzy. It's not that at all. It's a relationship that means he's my God and I'm his child and I'm going to honor my father. I'm going to pay respect to him. And when my father tells me something is, I know his heart, I know his goodness, and I know he's true. I'll believe it. So when God and I disagree, I'm the one who's wrong. Because when we decide that the Bible is an important book, but it's not the authoritative word from God himself, we have radically changed the very essence of Christianity. We've turned it into the cultural appeal. So the truth of the matter is this. There are passages of Scripture I wish wish weren't there because it doesn't meet my presuppositions. There are passages about God in the Old Testament and how he treated some nations. I don't get it. But I believe that God inspired those stories to tell me something about his nature, something about who he is. And he never asked me to like it. He's only asked me to trust it. Verse 39, these are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. There will be moments where you and the scriptures don't see eye to eye, and you have to remind yourself who truly knows the truth, the Son of God or a person living years later, totally reliant on everything that came from God first. You see, the whole purpose of the Bible is to get you to know God through Jesus. I want you to think about that with me. The whole purpose of the scriptures is to get you to know God through Jesus himself. So you either have decided there's a standard of truth that must equal your emotions and your feelings, or you believe that there's a standard of truth that's been verified by Jesus Christ that must become the guidance of your life. We can't be followers of Jesus and ignore the scriptures that he based his life on. We just can't. So the second point is where probably it could get rougher if you're ready for that. The scriptures are useful. Not only are they divine, but they're useful. There's a purpose behind them. And this is where we call a little bit of time out we have a conversation. The truth is, for many of us, we devalue the Bible. And you say, I would never devalue the Bible. We do, because we don't know it. We have the power of God's words to all generations We have the story of Jesus Christ from Genesis chapter 3 all the way through to the great culmination in the revelation of how Jesus comes back and brings everything into fruition. We have this entire story, and we say we believe it, but we don't know it. We don't open our minds to it. We're not spending any time with it. For many of us, and I don't know if you grew up this way, but I did, my Bible was always in our car because that's where it needed to be when we went to church the next week. It sat in the floorboard of the back window. So I knew when to go to church, I could just reach up there because, you know, you got those 25 points in Sunday school if you brought your Bible, which was really awkward. Please don't take this as a complaint. You folks are wonderfully encouraging to our team. But every now and then in ministry, like I'm sure every other job, you get fan mail. Some of it says I'm not a fan, and some of it says I'm a fan, but I get fan mail. Now, I haven't received a lot of the... I haven't received a lot of the, I'm not a fan male, except when I talk about cats, but we're going to stop that. Okay, so, but one time preaching in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, 
I had my big black Bible, you know, back in the day before one of these. I had my big black Bible, and I had my notes in my Bible, and I wanted to make a point with both of my hands. So I set the Bible. I kind of took it and did one of these, and I tossed it over on the communion table. I received two letters Tuesday morning in the mail telling me how disrespectful I was, A, to the communion table, and B, to that book. And there was a part of me, I was way too young to handle it maturely. But my response was, that book is going to burn up at the end days. What's in the book never will. And we can get caught up in symbols and modes. But here's the thing. You can also get a lot of credit for walking into a room where someone's talking about the Bible and never open yours. Oh, I know it appears on the screen. But that screen doesn't go home with you, does it? That screen can't contain your notes. That screen can't change your life Monday through Saturday. So whether you bring an old physical Bible, some of you are still carrying, I see you, I laugh at you. Your fitness plan is to carry around that 25-pound black leather Bible. I get you. God bless you. You got every bulletin that's ever been printed inside that thing. It's amazing. It's the original trapper. I get it. And some of you are walking around and your phone's on your, or your Bible's in your phone and you can flick to a passage instantaneously. I'm not judging that, but I'm telling you this. If you ever sit in a room where a man is opening the scriptures and you're not opening them yourselves, you're open to being deceived. I could tell you what's in the Bible. How would you know the difference? Test the prophets. Test the teachers. This is what the Bible teaches us. My encouragement to every one of us is we need to search the scriptures. Please don't let me be the authority of God's word in your life. Let the word of God be the authority in your life. And find out if I'm teaching correctly. Search the scriptures. He's, he uh, applauds the religious leaders in verse 39. He says, you diligently study the scriptures. But he encourages them for that, but he also disciplines them afterwards. We're not just about knowing the Bible. We're about trusting it and knowing the author of the Bible from our study. Dr. Timothy Keller, who's an incredible apologist, ethicist, philosopher, and preacher... He's more of a teacher than an orator, but he's an amazing. He's been very influential in my life. I love reading he, uh, his stuff. He thinks above my level. He stretches me in areas I need to be stretched. But he had a wonderful, simple illustration. He says, when it comes to searching the scripture, he said, walking through a state park and staying on the paved path with the ropes telling you not to cross over, he said, that's not searching the park. That's going for a leisurely walk of comfort. He says, searching is when you break through the ropes and you look amongst the trees and the bushes to find your lost child or to find your lost phone. And that imagery stuck with me. To search the scriptures does not simply mean we pick up a devotional as kind and encouraging as they are or a verse of the day off of your Bible, as as interesting as that may be. Contextually, that's a dangerous thing to take one verse and not understand who it's written to. But do you search the scriptures? And it takes work. See, searching the scriptures assumes that there's some things you'd overlook if you don't take your time and give diligent effort. It's searching assumes that there's an investment of time, that you just can't tuck it into a a quick five-minute read. Yeah, five minutes is better than nothing, but five minutes is barely better than nothing. It's creating time for it. Give the Word of God the same attention you give your regularly scheduled television programs, and you might find out, you'll you'll discover which one's more valuable really quickly. So... Searching has value, searching costs time, searching must be done with effort and energy and focus. If you lost your phone today, if you lost your keys today, would you simply look, to, look around, ah, good enough? 
Now you turn over everything because those are vital to your day. They're vital to your direction. They're vital to your purpose. And so are the scriptures of God. They must be searched. And so the question I have to ask you right now, and this is where I may rub you wrong, and I don't intend to, but if it does, we're going to have to deal with it. Are you studying the scriptures? You yourself, seeking the word and power of God. Jesus believed it was that important. Then maybe we ought to too. Secondly, let the scriptures search you. This is where the scriptures rub us wrong. He said, you diligently search the scriptures, but he also says in verse 40, if you believed Moses, you'd believe me. He said, if you listen to what Moses was talking about when it came to the tabernacle, when it came to the temple, when it came to the offerings, when it came to the sacrifices, Jesus said, if you paid attention to those, you'd understand that you need the work of God in your life. And he was saying to his audience, you don't think you need the work of God. You think you're the work of God. And he challenged them to let the scriptures reshape us. If the Bible is not making course corrections in our lives, then we're not in the word of God. There are passages of scriptures I wish weren't in there. One of the most frightening passages is that every word I've ever spoken will be played before the throne of God. I hope, I hope that's an exaggeration. Because that will be a long one-sided conversation that I started that I wish never happened. But I also believe that my words matter, and I believe it shows the intent of my heart, and I believe that some of the things I say reveal to me there's a lot of work that God's still got to do in me yet. You see, the passages have to shape us. Jesus said, don't worry, don't, don't fret about tomorrow. Consider the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. That word consider is powerful. Spend time in the word considering what Jesus said. Is it hard for me to do that? Is it easy for me to do that? Do I naturally do that? Or is this something unnatural that God's going to have to do work in my life? Consider. Spend some time on it. That word consider Jesus throughout the entire New Testament. Spend some thoughtful time allowing the word of God to sit in your presence and, and reflect you like a mirror. To find out all the things that you can do better. But also sit in front of the word and understand this. The word of God says God loves you and cares for you. The word of God says that he's never going to abandon you. He's never going to not pursue you. He's going to come after you like a father looking for his lost son. He's going to do this forever. The word of God is not just don't do this. The word of God is I am after you. I am for you. I love you. You're valuable. And in our world today, people need to hear they're valuable because God loves them, not because they look a certain way, make a certain amount of money, or have a fancy name. Consider what the word of God says and let it shape you. And thirdly, let the scriptures show you Jesus more completely. This is where I wanted to get all week. The word of God will work on you and the word of God will correct you. It will encourage you. It will shape you. It will say to you that there's more in the kingdom and available. And if we stopped right there, most of you would be convicted. Yeah, I need to study the word. I probably need to have a Bible study. And some of you, and let's just be honest, some of you are looking at me going, do you know how many times I've tried? I come in and some preacher gets on me and I decide I need to do this and I get all happy and I go and it lasts about three days and I feel stupid and I don't know how to do it and it's empty. And I'm going to tell you, Michael DeFazio, our teaching pastor, also teaches at Ozark Christian College, put together a little half-sheet handout for you to put in your Bible or put in your folder or whatever you're using to keep notes. He teaches a class at Ozark about this, but he does a wonderful little half sheet of paper to give you four things to do if you want to start studying the Bible. Four very simple things. If you did these things, it might take you 20, 25 minutes a day. 
Uh, so worth it. Here's why. Let the scriptures show you Jesus more completely. Verse 46. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. You see, the, the reward of Bible study is not so God's not mad at you. The reward of Bible study is not simply so I won't go to hell. I, I don't do Bible study because one day I'm going to go to heaven and I might want to know who I'm going to hang out with. No, the joy of Bible study is that when we open the word of God and we hear the voice of God through the spirit of God, we know him better. We know Jesus more. There's a story we'll get to in uh, distance from now in Luke chapter 24. It's a story of two men that were leaving Jerusalem after the crucifixion of Jesus. And they were heading back home to this town called Emmaus. As they were walking along, Jesus joined with them. But we don't know why. They couldn't recognize Jesus. We don't know physically after the resurrection if he looked differently. We know he had the holes in his hands and his side and so forth. But they didn't recognize him. And as they were walking, Luke says that Jesus began with Moses to tell them the story of the Old Testament. And he showed how Moses forward... There was constantly these reminders, these clues, and these hints about the Messiah who would come, how he would die, and how he'd be resurrected. And they get back to these two men's house in Emmaus, and they're sitting at the table, and Jesus takes bread and he breaks it, and he hands them a glass of wine, and the two of them looked at each other and went, it's him. The way he broke the bread and handed the wine was what he told us the night that his body would be the bread and his blood would be the wine of the new covenant. And they walked away going, How come we couldn't see it for ourselves? Because Bible study is not you finding out the Da Vinci Code of God. Bible study is you and I putting ourselves in the presence of the Spirit of God speaking through the Word so that Jesus becomes more alive than ever before. So that we know the heart and mind and Spirit of God is revealed to us. There is an incredible reward. It's not just coming back and getting 25 points for bringing your Bible and saying, I read the Bible every day. Are you finding God in the text? What Michael's done is put together a little piece of paper for you to pick up today. You can go right out there. There's a table in front of the welcome area. Pick one of those up and and do this. Say for the next 30 days, I'm going to study God's word. Nope, I'm going to study God in his word and I want to know him more and I want him to know me more and you'll find that what Jesus based his life on is what we will base our life on and oh what a life it could be when we know our God let's stand together thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco for more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general visit us online at ccochurch.com.